welcome to the 94 Feet Report. I am your host, as always, Eric Spropolis, and you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. Um, on my Twitter, you'll find my work for Hoops Habit, where I cover the Houston Rockets, and of course, my writing for 16 Wins a Ring, where I cover the NBA in general. And of course, we host this podcast, the 94 Feet Report. Um, of course, you can check out um, our sponsors, which are Blue Apron. If you check out um, the various links on my Twitter page and in our episode descriptions, you'll find out some great Blue Apron deals for great home-cooked meals that are ingredients that are pre-packaged and portioned out for you to have some really tasty meals. I've tried them. They're extremely delicious. Um, and, of course, you can check out um, some of our links on my Twitter that I've tweeted out about um, buying tickets on SeatGeek, a great place where they collect all these Twitters tickets um, and they rate them for you based on their price and location you'll get some great um, seats for a great price using SeatGeek. in today's episode of the show we've got adam joseph editor-in-chief of 16 wins a ring i mentioned that i write for and of course host this podcast adam is a really great um, nba mind he specifically really focuses on covering the thunder but of course writes about any and everything in the nba so it was great to have him on the show to uh, discuss a lot of wide variety of nba topics from the coach of the year race devin booker's um, explosion for 70 points um, and then we do a fun little you know predicting the uh, eventual standings in both the eastern and western conferences um, and then we'll also talk about some playoff matchups that we most want to see that would be most entertaining for us um of course you can uh check out the, the rest of our episodes on our blog talk radio page or on itunes or stitcher where you listen to your podcast make sure to leave a review all the reviews are really helpful for uh, allowing us to grow as a podcast especially on itunes where reviews are a big deal um, but check us out on Blog Talk Radio and everywhere. Follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. Follow the show on Twitter at The 94 Feet Report. I hope you enjoy this interview with Adam Joseph, editor-in-chief of 16 Wins a Ring. So we interrupt this great podcast that you're listening to. My name is Kevin Rayfuse. I'm Tim Tompkins. And I'm Justin Kuzart. And we host the Drive and Dish NBA podcast. We cover every team in the league and a bunch of really fun segments like random NBA player, drive and Dougal, and hot takes from Reddit. So when you're done listening to this podcast, give us a search on iTunes or whatever podcast streaming app you're listening on. We're also at driveanddishpodcast.com. We are the Drive and Dish NBA podcast. All right, we are now joined by Adam Joseph, editor-in-chief of 16 Wins a Ring, of course, where we host this podcast and where you can find a bunch of my MBA writing. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks, man. How are you? Doing pretty well myself. Can't complain. Uh, I know we're in pretty different time zones right now. Of course, you're calling from Melbourne, uh, a place that I actually visited last summer and I thoroughly enjoyed and I'm looking forward to coming back one day. How did you realize? I didn't know that. Yeah, I did. Uh, I went to Melbourne, Sydney, and uh, Cairns for about three weeks last summer, actually. It was probably the best trip of my life, really. Well, what, what was the best thing about it? Um, well, you know, I'm from New York City, so Melbourne kind of seemed the most comfortable to me. Um, and then, yeah. you know, Sydney kind of threw me off a little bit, but again, was still closer to a city. Um, and then going to Cairns was really throwing me for a loop. But uh, I went to the uh, Great Barrier Reef, which is obviously an incredible experience. Um, so, and seeing all the, uh, we went to a lot of uh, sports facilities. Um, what was that? I can't remember the uh, name of the uh, uh, Aussie Rules Football Stadium slash Cricket Stadium um, in Melbourne. Yeah, the MCJ. Yes, yes, yeah. We saw that. We saw yeah, the MCJ. Yeah, we saw that. We saw um, the Australian Open facilities. Um, went to a rugby game in Sydney. Um, yeah, we saw a bunch of stuff. But I think the Great Barrier Reef was probably the coolest part. Fun story. I've never been there. Wow. Uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, though exactly, I'm not exactly a big uh, swimming person. 
No, I'm no big swing person either. I'm all about the land. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, let's get into it. Um, you know, before when I actually prepared this outline and shared it with you, you know, I, that was before Devin Booker happened to go off for 70 points last night. Um, and considering the fact that he's my age, it makes me feel a little bit uh, unsure about what I'm doing with my life when he's dropping 70 points in the NBA. But um, I guess my question to you, you know, taking a step back from the obviously incredible 70 point performance is, um, you know, what is Devin Booker's ceiling as a player you know will he become a perennial all-star uh, in his prime um, is he really nothing more than the second or third option on a good team you know what do you see for Booker's future the exciting thing about someone like Devin Booker being a 20 year old is we don't know what his ceiling is yet but I mean you look at the pantheon of the players that have scored the points that he did last night and that's pretty comfortable company uh, he's certainly a perennial all-star um for the fact that fans vote in players like Devin Booker. They love shooters. They love offensive superstars. And Devin Booker is certainly on that path. So I don't know whether he's going to be a number one or number two option. I think in the modern NBA, it's very hard for players like Booker to be number one options because you have to be able to be a, a playmaker as well. And it's, it's, it's a tricky one. So he'll either be a, a one like you know a, a one or two option, but it, it's, it's hard to say. I mean... It's also about what Phoenix are able to put around him, and I know you wanted to talk about that. So, um, yeah, I'm very excited for, for the Suns' future. Yeah, um, yeah, my, that's that's basically leading into my next question. Is um, I'm going to throw in Phoenix with the Lakers and the Magic and ask you, which team do you believe returns to playoff contender status first? Uh, probably the Lakers because they're further on along the path, I'd say, um, in terms of roster construction than the Suns. That doesn't mean the Suns have less talent. It might just mean they're a year behind in terms of development. But that being said, I don't know that the Lakers have anyone um, at the moment who is probably um, on the trajectory that Booker is because the Lakers have a lot of uh, a lot of good young players but don't have an alpha yet. I think that's pretty widely acknowledged. And they're still searching for the guy to lead that, that young core. Um, Orlando have a lot of issues still mm-hmm. to work through and it's almost like they're going to have to hit the reset button again so they might very well be first if they keep trying to accelerate their rebuild but I think their ceiling is so much lower because of where their roster is at and because they've sort of tried to accelerate that rebuild it's stagnated their roster somewhat yeah and um, you know it's going to be interesting uh, offseason for all three teams you know even at the management level um, we all know the Lakers brought in Magic Johnson they're a new GM the Magic owner has you know, publicly said that the Magic GM Hennigan's job is basically on the line and most likely he will be gone. Um, he has not had the uh, greatest reputation in the past couple of off seasons, evident by the, you know, Ibaka trading him and then giving him away because it wasn't working out. Um, and then the Suns, you know, even them, you really can't trust their management yet fully. And they've got interesting decisions. You know, they got Brandon Knight on the roster and, and Eric Bledsoe, who they shut down and Bledsoe was against that as well. You know, there's a lot of, it's going to be an interesting off season for every team. Um, I have to agree with you that the Magic could potentially, you know, make the playoffs, so to say, first. But, you know, their ceiling is not that high. Um, Just looking at their roster right now compared to the Suns, who have a guy like Booker and a lot of other young talent, Marquise Chris, um, you know, Dragon Bender, who's hurt. um, And the Lakers, of course, you know, that they should most likely get a really good pick. And, you know, you never know. Paul George is hot on their pursuit, so that could happen pretty quickly. Um, Yeah. So let's uh, move on past Devin Booker and the Suns and, you know, stop talking about rebuilding for a second and and go to uh, one of the awards of the award season, 
One of the more fascinating ones, um, as more candidates have come to the top of the board um, recently, I wrote a piece about this for Hoops Habit that I just released today. Um, I know one of our writers on 16, uh, Darwee Chen, had a really great article about this. Um, let's talk about the coach of the year race. Uh, who do you have in your top three right now and why? Um, I think Mike D'Antoni is the runaway winner. While um, obviously James Harden deserves the bulk of the credit, or not so the bulk, but a significant portion of the credit for how well Houston is doing. I think it's D'Antoni's system that's put it all together. Uh, and like then, of course, there's Daryl Murray, who's probably the front runner for executive of the year by building such a brilliant roster for the system and uh, star that he has. But I think Mike D'Antoni's a runaway winner. But uh, in second place, I could go between Scott Brooks or Eric Spolstra. And then Oh, there's there's a variety of guys you can throw in there, but those are the two that stood out to me. What about you? I actually, yeah, I mean, I have the exact same top three, which is kind of boring, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I definitely think Mike D'Antoni should should comfortably win the award. I don't maybe it might be closer, you know, come voting time than I believe it should be, but. You know, as uh, as Chen pointed out in his article on 16, um, he had a nice, really good, like, two charts that he made up about past award winners for Coach of the Year. Um, and basically what the award basically rewards is how much a team over exceeds their expectations. Um, almost all of the winners in the past couple of years has exceeded expectations by at least, you know, seven to eight wins. Uh, and then he included a chart about this year's candidates and, you know, the Rockets on pace for, I think, 56 when he did his article. Um, which is a lot higher um, of exceeding expectations compared to Washington or Miami. Um, but then at the other side, you have to give credit to you know Brooks and Spolster for just how incredible those turnarounds were. Um, Wizards started at the seven and thirteen this season. The Heat were eleven and thirty at one point, and now they're sitting in the playoffs um, fairly comfortably, like a game and a half ahead of uh, Detroit and Chicago. So those turnarounds are are so incredible, and and you have to kind of evaluate, you know. How much do you reward just flat out exceeding expectations versus how much do you reward just simply completely turning around a team's fortunes from basically the lottery to the playoffs or in the case of the Wizards from, a, you know, barely a 500 team to a top contender in the Eastern Conference. Um, so my, my final question about this coach of the year race is, you know, who were the toughest omissions from your list? Who did you really uh, who do you have kind of four or five who are trying to fit their way into the top three but can't? Uh, the obvious like elephant in the room in every coach of the discussion is Greg Popovich, mm -hmm. um, who we can give the award to every year. But I also had Quinn Snyder, who I think has done a really great job in Utah despite just nonstop injuries. And they've started to put together a much better offense than they've had in previous years. Uh, I also had Jason Kidd. I think he's done a really good job in Milwaukee considering the absence of Chris Middleton and then the absence of Jabari Parker, like having to adjust to that. And... Um, They've done a nice little job putting together a tidy little roster with other signings like Mirza Talovic. I didn't love the Matthew Dalla, the, the Dover contract, but um, but then they've had Malcolm Brogdon come along. And then I had Billy Donovan in there, but I don't think OKC have done quite well enough. But I've been impressed with his adjustments, obviously, um, watching a lot of their games helps. But those are probably the guys that the toughest emissions. But I think the top three is pretty... Is pretty clear. I think under Quinn Snyder might have a case to push in there, or obviously Popovich. What about you? Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to basically name those same. Uh, I was going to agree with you. The top three seems pretty firm, um, especially if things continue the final 10 or so games for every team, basically what they've been doing recently. Uh, I think that top three is fairly comfortable. And um, I think I'd have, I think I'd have Snyder at four, maybe tied with Popovich. 
you know, Popovich is almost like, you know, everyone talks about LeBron. Basically, you could give him MVP every year. You know, you could basically give Popovich coach of the year every year. But, you know, people, we don't do that because, you know, these are awards that, you know, other people have great seasons, whether it be players or coaches. Um, So it's time, you know, basically to to reward other people. Um, But Popovich is always there. Um, Yeah, Jason Kidd has a pretty interesting year in Milwaukee there. You know, they started off pretty well. They went down for a little bit. We're out of the playoffs for about a, a week or two. You know, uh, Parker goes down and everyone's kind of worried um, both about Parker's future and then the team's, you know, playoff chances this year. And then the next thing you know, they pick it up. They had a really good uh, road trip in the, on the West Coast last week. So we'll see if they can if they can hold it and, and make the playoffs. And, you know, they're a pretty dangerous team for anyone. Um, speaking about a team in the Bucks division and obviously a team that will be in the playoffs, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, and we're specifically when talking about the Cavs, we're going to talk about their defensive struggles because they've been extremely poor on the defensive end uh, in the past couple of weeks. They're 22nd in defensive rating for the entire season, which is not good at all. Um, but then you think and look that since the trade deadline, the Cavs are 29th in defense uh, in the entire league. They are down by five currently to the Wizards. At the, oh, they're down by six now, uh, near the end of the third quarter um, at home. So that could be another loss to a team that's chasing them in the standings. Um, you know, what have you seen from the Cavs that's, you know, so concerning? And um, I guess on a scale of 1 to 10, how, how concerned would you be with their defense over the past couple of weeks? Um, not, I'm not massively worried, but, I mean, you give up 70 points in a half three times um, in their last few games. It's pretty concerning. Like, uh, you, can, you, can, you can say that when it comes to the postseason, you know, we'll flick the switch and things will change, but... With a defensive rating that low, the only team that has flicked the switch and won the title after doing that was the Lakers. And the Lakers had... Um, the Lakers... I mean, the Cavs aren't going to go 15-1. Let's just put that out there. Like, yeah. That was the 2001 Lakers. Like, that's a very very different situation. I'm just not sure with the, with the personnel that they have. I mean, they have a lot of like great shooters, but they aren't great defenders. That's the offset. So I'm not convinced that they can ramp it up to an elite level. They can ramp it up to a better level for sure. Like it all comes down to it mainly comes down to LeBron setting that standard. Uh, but I'm not sold that their personnel that they have now is a very strong defensive unit. I mean, Darren Williams, Kyle Korver, Shannon Bright—they are not good defenders, and those are the sort of players who will get roasted. Like if they play the Warriors in the finals, the Warriors' specialty on offense is punishing weaknesses, and that is exactly what they'll do. Yeah, there always were some personnel concerns with the Cavs defensively, but then when you couple that with the poor effort they've given um, in the past couple of weeks, that's how you get this absolutely horrible defense. Um, you know, I, I'm not that concerned either. Um, I think what you said about LeBron kind of setting the standard is is key, um, and we saw him basically publicly criticizing the effort and, and saying he had a quote saying about like, you have to bring the toughness or, you, you know, you can't flip a switch for toughness or something like that. I don't remember the exact words, but he was um, doing his LeBron thing where he, you know, goes to the public to kind of criticize and, and get his teammates motivated because he realizes that the playoffs are right around the corner, um, basically about two weeks away. Um, you know, I guess the only concern would be if they're potentially building bad habits that, you know, maybe they think in their minds, oh, we'll switch it up when the playoffs come. We don't have to worry about this. It's the regular season. But, you know, sometimes that's not always the case and maybe they can't, uh, you know, flip a switch, you know, for the majority of the playoffs and not necessarily going to get, you know, bounced out of the playoffs, but definitely have a harder path to the finals, which makes it, you know, harder on them to, to win the finals again and repeat as, as champions. Um, 
So I'm not, you know, going to say I'm super concerned. I guess for the Cavs, kind of the, this poor defense has led to um, kind of a, a mediocre stretch. They're 5-5 five and five in the last 10. And that leads to the Celtics being only one game behind them in the standings. Um, and if the Cavs lose tonight, the Celtics would be half a game behind them. Do you think there's any chance that the Celtics pass them? And, you know, does that even matter, really? Well, I think there's every chance that the Celtics pass them, but I'm not worried about that. I don't think the Cavaliers are either. They've shown that they can go in games on the road uh, in big playoff situations. Uh, LeBron's never been, well, in his prime and beyond in recent years, he's never had a problem going on the road and winning games. So I don't think the Cavs are worried about that, but I'm more worried for them when they get to the finals and what that's going to be like when they play a team. Like the, the, the Rockets, Spurs, and Warriors all have better records than the Cavs, and that's not by accident. So uh, I am worried for them in a title sense, maybe not in an Eastern Conference sense. I still think the, the Wizards and um, the Wizards and the, the Celtics and then a healthy Raptors can give them troubles, but uh, I just, yeah, I am worried for them going to the finals. Yeah, and that's the thing with the Cavs. You know, the, the main worry is, for, is basically for the finals because everyone assumes that they're just going to make it anyways. Um, but, you know, them being tested along the way wouldn't really be good for them. You know, they, they want to be as rested as possible, as sharp as possible. And a healthy Raptors team is really good defensively since the trade deadline. Um, they can get Kyle Lowry back and he looks good. They can give him a, a, certainly give him a push. Um, a Wizards team, hopefully, you know, if they don't flame out or, you know, get tired down the stretch because their starting lineup has played the most minutes in the NBA, um, they could also give them a little bit of a fight. Um, and then, you know, the Celtics can also give them a little bit of a fight. So, you know, we'll have to see. They have some suitors, but... Um, main thing is them just giving more effort and intensity on defensive end. And I'm pretty sure I'm fairly confident they'll be fine in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Not, not going to look forward to the finals if they're playing like this or with their defensive personnel. Um, okay, let's stay in the Eastern Conference, kind of switch up the order of these topics since we're talking about the Cavs in the East. Um, let's move down in the playoff standings, though, to the five through eight seeds because that has turned into a pretty interesting race down the stretch. Um, so I'm going to ask you this, which teams are most likely to miss the playoffs out of this group, Detroit, Chicago, and Miami, and why? Oh, Chicago for sure. They're, they're tanking without even trying at the moment. <laughs> the, the effort that they put out yesterday against the Sixers was, was pretty pathetic. Um, well, I don't know whether that's an indictment on like their stars as well, like Jimmy Butler and, and uh, whatnot, because they're just... I just can't understand them. They're like, they're like, well, we know we know them as the TNT Bulls now. <laughs> so they are just the most Jekyll and Hyde team in the league. I just can't see them making it. I hope that they don't because they don't deserve to make it. And I think I think the same goes for Detroit. Um, it's clear. I've said this a couple of times lately. I don't know if anyone else has noticed, but it is very clear to me that Stan Van Gundy hates his roster. <laughs> Every time he talks about them in a press conference, it's so clear that he hates them. And that's sort of strange because he's the GM as yeah. well. And I think it's sort of, again, an indictment on the fact that the GM coach experiment does not work. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't work for the Clippers. It doesn't work for the Hawks. It doesn't work for anyone. And um, I'm hoping that those two miss it because I think having the Heat and the Bucks and the Pacers would be way more exciting. So that's what I'm rooting for. Yeah, the Pistons I've got is one of the more interesting cases this season. I mean, I know... Most people, including myself, were, were relatively high on them, you know, making the playoffs, improving on their, uh, I think they had 46 wins last year. Um, I was fairly confident that they would improve on that and comfortably make the playoffs. Next thing you know, they, they're benching Reggie Jackson. 
Um, and then that hasn't worked either. They got blown out the past two games with Ish Smith starting. Um, and yeah, as you said, Stan Van Gunny takes any opportunity he can to basically publicly trash his roster, which is ironic because that's the roster he built. Um, and people gave him praise for that. And I think it's a, a decently built roster on paper, but there's some kind of disconnect, I think, in the locker room that will most likely be solved this year, this offseason, whether that be, you know, the departure of Reggie Jackson or um, maybe some other players. I'm not sure. But yeah, I have to agree with you on the Bulls being the most likely team to miss the playoffs. Um, I mean, that, that game last night was absolutely pathetic. And there was like a, a video of, of the Bulls bench doing some kind of like weird celebration together mid game when they were getting blown out. And, and someone was like, do the Bulls even know that they're playing a basketball game? I mean, that was just such a indictment of, of their season and, and you know how they played recently but um, I have to agree with you having Miami Milwaukee and Indiana would be probably the more interesting and, and more exciting teams especially in the case of, of, of teams like Milwaukee and, and Miami who could you know certainly be um, kind of a threat in the playoffs um, and that's my question my next question actually, I actually already gave it away basically is uh, you know should teams uh, basically, a top two or three seed uh, fear Miami. You know, they they could potentially go get all the way to the fifth seed. Um, the only two games behind the Hawks for the fifth seed. The only one game behind the Pacers for the seventh seed. So, should a team like the Celtics or the Wizards, maybe even the Cavs, should they fear the Heat in any way? No, I don't think they'll be fun to play by any measure. Um, they've shown that. Hassan Whiteside has shown when he's engaged that he is just a pest to play against under the rim. Like he is just a bully. But, like, if on the Cavs, like, you'd probably expect to beat them in five games. Uh, probably the only team I'd worry about is the Celtics because of someone like Whiteside, where the Celtics are a poor rebounding team. Um, that can make a difference if the, the Heat can get the shooters going and things like that. Uh, and they can play sort of inside out. But I don't think so. I think they're a team you don't want to play, but I don't think you'd, I don't think I'd see the Heat stealing a series from any of those teams. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't, I don't see them see, stealing the series necessarily. I do agree with the Celtics being kind of the team that should be most concerned. Celtics are 26th in the league in rebounding, something that Whiteside could expose. And, and basically, the way that the Heat just play with so much effort, and uh, you know, they're just so well coached, especially on the defensive end. They've got, I think, the fifth best defense in the league for the entire season. Um, it's a, it's a team that you really just don't want to play. Kind of how people have been talking about the Grizzlies for the past couple of years. That you know you may beat them, but you'll feel different after playing them or something. Um, not necessarily saying that the Heat are kind of like the grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies, but that kind of vibe where you know you don't want to play them. Not that you're going to lose a series, but you'll just you'll be put in for a test, basically to say the least. Um, let's stick with this kind of uh, predicting of the seedings and move to the Western Conference because the. The kind of the fight for the four through seven seeds in the Western Conference has gotten very interesting, especially with the Clippers actually beating the Jazz today. Um, as it stands right now, um, we've got the Jazz at fourth, only half a game above the Clippers, two games ahead of the Thunder, um, and then a comfortable three and a half, well, somewhat comfortable three and a half games against the Grizzlies. So my question to you is, how do you see the four through seven seeds playing out in the West? Um, I think it'll probably hold firm as is. I can see the Jazz finishing fourth. I think they've just got enough to hold on. Rudy Gobert's comments after the game today about players being too focused on scoring and, and taking it easy was, was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that might have just been a wake-up call more than anything. Uh, I can think I think the Clippers will hold on to that fifth spot. I think we felt a little bit differently uh, not too long ago, but I think they'll just hold on. I think the the Thunder will certainly hold on to the sixth seed because the Grizzlies are sort of stumbling through the rest of the season at the moment. Yeah. And then we'll have the Grizzlies in seventh who will be our mincemeat for the Spurs in the first round. 
Yeah, the Grizzlies have lost two in a row. They're four and six in the last ten. None of these teams are playing particularly well. Uh, Jazz are just five and five in the last ten. Clippers and Thunder both six and four in the last ten. Um, so you know it'll be interesting. Um, you know a lot of people would say that you know being the six. Of course, you want to be the six seed over the seven seed because playing the Spurs is just no one wants to play the Spurs. Um, but a lot of people would argue, especially teams like the Jazz, the Thunder, and the Grizzlies, who have that physical front court. Um, use their defense to win games. A, a matchup with the Rockets would be the best option for them, obviously compared to the Warriors and Spurs. But a team like the Rockets with such high variance, you know, you know, one week they're shooting so well, you you just don't know what to do with them. Uh, to, you know, on the defensive end, and then the next week they're shooting so poorly that you can you know s- relatively comfortably beat them. We've seen the Jazz. Um, win the season series against the Rockets this year 2-1 um, using their you know, defense especially in their pick and roll defense to kind of stymie James Harden and then you know the Rockets aren't hitting their shots and that's how that happens the Rockets are 2-2 two and two against the Grizzlies against again the Grizzlies use their defense to pressure the Rockets and, and put um, pressure on Harden and, and you know use that physical front court to out rebound the Rockets um, and then the Rockets are 2-1 and one against the Thunder but those games are basically so close that they're almost like coin flips basically um, with their final game of the season coming tomorrow um and that 330 abc showdown um so you know would you like the chances for let's say the jazz grizzlies or thunder if they finish as the sixth seed against the rockets uh i think you have to probably give a little bit of respect to the rockets four home games with that offense and they've been so great at home um 27 and 9 at home i think any team would like their chances in a playoff series. Um, but with the, like you said, with the variance, it's, it's very difficult. Like you have to, you cannot make a mistake with your three point defense because they will just roast you. And it's, it's going to be very tough for any team. And I, I like the way that Oklahoma city have played against the Rockets this season, but like if the shooters come out hot tomorrow on national television, they could wipe the floor with the Thunder, and that could seal the MVP for James Harden. So it's going to be a very interesting game. I'm actually really looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I know you are. <laughs> yeah, definitely am. The, the Ryan Anderson being out has put a little damper on it. Um, and actually, you know, it'll be interesting to see because the Rockets have actually um, struggled without Anderson on the floor. You know, their offense doesn't have that spacing factor um, that they usually have, of course, with Anderson being an elite three-point shooter. Um and, you know, Sam Decker has basically fallen off the, the rookie cliff, so to speak, um, with his shooting. Um, Trevor Reza, you know, you don't want to play him too much down the stretch because you need him in the playoffs. And, you know, Montrez Harrell um, has not been receiving minutes at all uh, in the past week or so. So that's something to keep your eye on. But it should be an interesting game tomorrow. And unfortunately, if there is a big performance by one of the two MVP candidates and their team wins, uh, reactionary kind of thought tells us that that will – play such a huge role in the MVP race, which I, I don't think it should, but of course, it's a national TV game. Down the stretch of the season, they're technically playing against That's each other. Course. Technically, they're playing against each other, but they never really guard each other. Um, and so, you know, of course, Twitter will go crazy depending on what happens in that game anyways. Um, so, let's we'll stick with the topic of playoff matchups and kind of do a little bit more fun with them instead of predicting the seedings themselves. Um, my just general question in both conferences, what are some playoff matches that you want to see the most? Um, I want to see the Rockets play the Warriors because that'll just be fun for everyone. Uh, I would like to see Toronto lose to Milwaukee in the first round as the fourth and fifth seed so that Cleveland play Milwaukee, like a really pumped up, confident Milwaukee in the second round. I'd like to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think the Rockets and the Thunder will be really good. I think that's a really interesting matchup of teams. I don't love the Jazz and Clippers matchup. I'm really hoping that the Jazz knock the Clippers out and the Clippers rebuild over the summer because it's time to hit the reset button in LA, whether they want to admit it or not. And I think a Celtics-Wizards series will be fun as hell because those teams just hate each other. Yeah, it's really interesting how the Celtics and Wizards have become kind of a, a rival in the NBA, at least in this regular season. Um, yeah, I agree with you on, on basically all of those matchups. Um, I, I do think, yeah, I, I would love to see if, if it is Jazz Clippers in the first round, which it, it could very well be. Um, I would love to see the Clip, the Jazz to not only win a, a playoff series, get their guys some more playoff experience, but also just knock out the Clippers and really make the Clippers reflect on, you know, is it time to rebuild and, you know, you know, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin are free agents. You know, Doc Rivers had that rumor to go to Orlando to basically take the same job of GM and coach again, which would be just incredible incompetence, I would I would argue, uh, on behalf of the Magic organization. Um, but, you know, them losing in the first round will certainly make Chris Paul and Blake Griffin um, and their fans and the organization, you know, do a double take on what really is the true potential or ceiling for this team if they're losing in the first round. Um, some other matchups I'd like to see, I, you know, just looking at the first round, I really would really hoping for the Nuggets to hold on to the ace seed um, for two reasons, because the Nuggets and Warriors games this season have been extremely entertaining, um, two great offenses. The Nuggets actually have the best offense in the league since Jokic uh, was inserted into the starting lineup in, in mid-December. Um, and of course, we know the Warriors' offense is just incredible. Um, and because I think that a lot of more casual fans need to be exposed to Nikola Jokic to start appreciating him more. Um, I know NBA Twitter appreciates him, and we get basically nightly videos about his incredible passing. Last night was just incredible with those uh, no-look over-the-head passes. Um, yeah. But him playing in the playoffs would, would automatically expose him more, especially against the Warriors, uh, would expose him more to casual fans, which is something I'm hoping for because Jokic has just been spectacular. Um, and if it wasn't for Giannis, I didn't Kumpo, Jokic, I think, would be the runaway for most improved player. But because Giannis has just taken a whole nother level and basically every category, statistical category, um, it's basically his award to lose. Um, so, yeah, then I, I would agree with you on those, uh, especially Rockets Warriors. I'd love to see Rockets Spurs again um, because their season series was 3-1 San Antonio. But, um, you know, the Rockets, one of those games, they had like a 13-point lead in, in like the with like five minutes to go and lost it at home. Um, of course, we had that incredible 30 seconds of Kawhi Leonard's MVP case with the three and then the block on the other end. Um, so that's a series that I think that, you know, would, would go seven games, especially if the Rockets are half and beyond the arc. But again, we all looking too forward into the future. Playoffs are still about <laughs> two weeks away, I'm pretty sure, um, with that being said. All right. Well, Adam, it was great to have you on the show uh, today. Uh, I guess you can throw out your Twitter handle and where everyone can find your work. Um, yeah, everyone can find me at Adam Joseph Sport, and everything I write is now housed at 16 Windsor Ring. So you can find me there and a hell of a lot of other great writers, as you know. Yes, absolutely. And of course, you can always find this podcast and the other podcasts on the 16 Windsor Ring Podcast Network. And you can find a bunch of my articles in 16 Windsor Ring. I'll be writing about the Phoenix Suns for next week, um, especially after Devin Booker's 70-point performance. All right, Adam, thanks for coming on the show today. No worries, man. Talk to you soon.